Welcome to the Global Business Insights Podcast, brought to you by PSL. I'm your host, Max Kent, and I'll be joined by my co-host, Dr. Charlotte de Brabant. In Series 2, Beyond Business, we delve into the captivating journeys of the world's most exceptional business leaders, entrepreneurs and professionals. Our mission is not only to ignite inspiration and knowledge for the next generation, but also to illuminate the path for those currently navigating challenges. Join us as we uncover the remarkable stories that transcend traditional business narratives and offer a beacon of hope and guidance. Welcome everyone to our show today. Terry, we are so, so thrilled to have you join us to discuss your remarkable career in business and your impactful work with Good Business Pace. Absolutely, Terry. Welcome to the show. Really delighted to have you on. Um, perhaps you could just start by sharing a little glimpse into your background and the, some of the diverse experiences you've gained throughout your career. Sure. And, uh, thank you for inviting me. Um, I started my career uh, not at university. I left school and went straight into the world of theatre and television, which was what interested me at the time. So I came to London and uh, got involved with TV and theatre and trained as a, eventually as a producer in that field. Um, that was in the 1980s. I then was taken on uh, into sort of marketing. Actually, I was making TV commercials for Sainsbury's and they asked me to come on board uh, into the Sainsbury's head office and take on a big marketing communications role there, which I did. So I then spent a number of years in corporates in large marketing roles at Sainsbury's in retail and then uh, switching to a global role at American Express and uh, traveled the world in uh, a CMO type of role at American Express. Uh, while I was at American Express, I got involved, very interested in um, the psychology of customer buying and what customers truly value and did some work to introduce the blue card, which was the credit card of American Express. Uh, and while I was doing that, I was working or supported by Anderson Consulting, as they were called at the time, uh, then to become Accenture. And I joined them because I was very impressed with their work in the late 1990s, initially as an associate partner became a partner in the early 2000s at Accenture, stayed there for 12 years in change management, strategy and marketing roles. And I was also head of global thought leadership and introduced and invented their high performance delivered program at Accenture. Uh, I then switched after quite a long time at Accenture to become a partner at KPMG. So got interested in accounting. Uh, and uh, after uh, that lot sort of got um, slightly disillusioned with working in big companies where you can only make uh, so much of a difference. So decided to um, learn all about the world of digital, which uh, had become important at that point by throwing myself into very small companies, startup companies. And uh, I helped lead and grow three startups. The first one was a complete failure uh, and lost a good deal of my life savings on that. And uh, and um, learnt what not to do, but then went on to do a couple of uh, decent startups and then applied my learnings to uh, of digital and disruption to some traditional industries by helping some organisations in healthcare and recruitment um, to become more 
energy tool and understand what customers want in the 21st century as opposed to the 20th. And then finally, after that, uh, I decided to get back into um, sort of helping the creative industries uh, where I'd started get back on its feet because um, it was having a hard time. Uh, I joined the uh, Creative Industries Federation as their chief commercial officer uh, at the time when COVID struck. And it was a time when COVID struck uh, and all the theatres went dark, music festivals stopped, filming stopped. And that meant that work stopped for a lot of creative people uh, that, um, that I uh, suddenly became aware of the problem of payments, late payments, no payments, no money. And uh, at that point in the game, I realized that something needed to be done to help a lot of people, uh, the little people, if you like, the small companies that weren't getting paid as fast as they could be. Now, I had figured out that technology was not really, after all, all those years, my bag. I didn't want to invent a new solution. There were lots of people who'd invented payment solutions, but I was pretty good having gone through that career I just laid out at running hearts and minds campaigns. Uh, and that's what I decided to do, that what we needed here was a hearts and minds campaign uh, to try and help people think about the benefits of paying faster, hence founding Good Business Pays in 2021, and I've been doing that ever since. So uh, that's a, quite a lot of stuff over a long period of time that's brought me here. Absolutely, Terry, what a remarkable story. I'm really glad to have you on this podcast. Um, you've mentioned that the genesis of Good Business Pays, it lies in addressing the issue of slow and late payments to all these small businesses. Maybe you can elaborate a little more on the detrimental impact this issue has on small businesses and the overall economy. Yes, sure. And it affects small businesses, mostly, I would say, in the B2B space, right? So. If you're working in the B2C space, you've got a little shop or a, uh, or a business serving consumers, you generally take money across the counter for what you sell. The same is true when we go into a restaurant or we go into a supermarket. We pay for the goods and services that we uh, take out of the store or we eat in the restaurant. It's not the same in B2B organizations and in small businesses in, B in the B2B field where you have to produce something or do some work you then offer that onto another company uh, and then you wait to get paid. And this is where the problem starts because as a small business, whether you are offering a service or whether you're making product, you have to buy stuff in, you have to pay for stuff and make stuff and do stuff before you get paid. And if it's a while before you get paid, then there's a gap between the time when you've paid the wages of your staff or your heating bill or, your, or you fed your kids, actually, because there's a lot of small business owners, their business is their life. There's a gap between when you paid out and you get paid. And if the payment time is very fast, that's OK, because you can take money out of your bank account, pay your employees, pay your heat and light bill, etc. And then you get paid and you've got a little profit, hopefully, there. However. If you're waiting 60, 90, 100 days, or if you're promised payment in 30 days and it just doesn't arrive, what are you going to do? You know, you have to keep raiding your own bank account. So the, the impact on the business, the small business, is that it can go out of business very quickly. 
50,000 small businesses go out of business purely because of payment problems each year, according to the Federation of Small Business. And remember that each of those 50,000, assuming they have one employee, is one family. So that's 50,000 families in trouble. If they have two employees, that's 100,000 families in trouble. So the knock-on effect of this is actually very, very big. So with six and a half million small businesses in the UK, 50,000 going bust because of this, who knows how many are still in trouble as a result of fast payment. But that's an illustration of the problems it causes. I think that's pretty stark figures there, Terry, and it's um, certainly something I've um, experienced myself with um, my own business and startups. And where you talk about um, the in your intro section about the fails, uh, failed startup you experienced, I, I did that myself with a startup. Uh, my first startup failed, and that was for the same reasons, for late payment and not being paid on time. So um, it never really goes away when you're starting up, and it's the major factor in whether you sort of sink or swim. So um, I'm sure many people that resonates with. Um, in a lot of the problem, I think, is when you're dealing with larger companies. A lot of the time, if you're a small business, especially this day and age with software, tech and things like that, where it's a very specific service that's um, delivered probably to a much larger company that needs that specific expertise and can't get it anywhere else. So the, the ticket price of that uh, piece of work could be fairly significant for, for even for the large company. Um, and even more significant to the small business in turn that's waiting for that payment. Um, and that's where the problem is, because um, certainly in my, in my experience, that larger company can um, may have longer payment terms, and that's just normal for them. And it's normal to not pay things on time and sort of standard practice to um, keep the money for as long as you can do until you until you shout for it. Um, so I've seen that and I've seen it happen. But um, Maybe talk us through what specific measures that Good Business Pays has actually implemented or is encouraging with large companies to adopt those faster payment practices and how maybe do you gauge the effectiveness of those measures in place? Hmm. Well, um, the first thing to say is a few bits of the answer. One thing is we can only measure the payment practices of those companies that actually report their payment practices. Uh, and that's around, at the moment, six or 7,000 of the largest companies in the UK. There's a law in the UK that says the largest companies have to report their payment practices to the Department of Business and Trade every six months. So for those companies, we have a measure every six months. Uh, it's a self-reported measure, but it is a measure that says, this is how long we take to pay our invoices. For the rest of business, and that's a lot of businesses, there is no reporting system. So who knows what goes on? So what we do with the ones that do report is uh, the first thing that we do is we bring those figures uh, and make them visible for people, right? So those figures have been there forever, well, not forever, actually, since 2017, when the law was introduced that said those companies have to report, but they are in the public domain. They are available for anyone to go and see it is a bit tricky to go find them because they're quite hard to find. And even when you find the database that holds them, it's quite a complex database. So one of the things we did at Good Business Pages is to say, let's make payment data a bit more interesting, relevant, and dare I say fun to look at. Uh, it's not really that much of an interesting topic, right? It is to me, but not to everybody. 
So we take a live feed from all that company data that comes into the government's uh, DBT site. And on Good business, business Pays, you can go there, you can put in the name of a large company, and it'll bring something up that looks a little bit like a car dashboard, easy to use, fun to use. And it says, this is how long this company takes to pay. Here, what, here's the sort of percentage of invoices that you pay late. And then there's a little dashboard underneath that tells you what percentage of their invoices are paid in under 30 days, 31 to 59, or over 60 days. So you instantly get a picture of every company and what their current payment performance is. The second thing that we do is we shine a light on the good and the bad in order to highlight for small businesses, here are a bunch of companies that would be great for you to work for because they're fast payers. On the other hand, here are a bunch of companies that I would avoid because you'll wait forever to get paid. Um, and there's about, there are about sort of 10% at each end of the scale that I've just mentioned. There are about 10% of companies that are always very happy to pay fast, about 10% that are quite happy, it seems, to pay very slow but there are about 80% in the middle that will swing either way. And we use a good business pays, I would say, uh, gamify a little bit, if you want to put it that way, the good and the bad, to try and persuade people to pay faster rather than slower. We do that through awards for people who pay fast. We do it through league tables. We do it through sort of uh, naming and shaming the ones that are really bad. And what we're trying to do is to get people to behave differently because although there's lots of technology out there, a lot of these sort of fast paying technologies have been around for quite a few years now. I'm still posting newspaper cuttings of slow payment from 45 years ago that are faster than people are paying today. So the fact that technology is there has not necessarily changed behavior, and the UK is one of the worst for payment culture in the world. Terry, thank you for sharing. And while Good Business Pays is focused on enhancing payment practices within the UK, um, how do you envision this initiative expanding to tackle this issue on a more global scale? And maybe you could elaborate what um, potential challenges and opportunities do you foresee in doing so? Well, uh, I suppose that the good news is um, there aren't that many pieces of good news around payment practices at the moment. I'd like there to be more. But one of the good news pieces is that since we started campaigning three years ago, more people are talking about it as an important thing. And more people can see uh, the payment record of companies. So there's a visibility to it. And in the way that people are talking about it, they're talking about it in other countries, not just in the UK. So Good Business Pays operates and campaigns in the UK, but we reach out to people who are interested in moving the dial in a positive way in other places. So for example, the European Union has its own late payment directive, which is now getting up ahead of steam it is going to, it's a proposal for all the European Union states to have much faster payment, to have 30 day payment, in fact, for small businesses. 
and for companies to be fined and there to be league tables, etc., just in the way that Good Business Pays does here, but actually stronger than we do in the UK, stronger laws, stronger regulation. That's across the whole of the EU, which is very big. We have the same thing in Australia as well, where we work with the Small Business Commissioner's Office in Australia. They've taken all of the good business pays procedures and the way we do it and are recommending to the Australian government that they have a similar thing to good business pays in Australia. Now, why is this important? It's important because if you take a large multinational or global company, like, for example, Coca-Cola, that has a record of really poor payment, on average 127 days, I think it is at the moment to pay in the UK. Uh, obviously the head office is in the US, but they will probably be paying slowly in multiple countries. And if multiple countries go back to Coca-Cola and say, no, no, we don't accept 127 days payment, especially for our small businesses, we'd like it to be 30 days. If that's said by multiple countries back to Coca-Cola's head office, the chances are that someone in finance there will say, let's just have one finance system that pays everybody in 30 days. We can't have a different finance system that pays different rates in different countries. It's too complicated. So that sort of bottom up grassroots um, uh, uh, effort in multiple countries to expect multinationals to behave in a good way will have a very big effect because each of those large multinationals will have thousands of suppliers. So there'll be a big ripple effect in many different countries if we get this right. I can see exactly how this is working for you and it makes absolute sense. I mean, when you say it's a campaign, it really is. So this doesn't stop, does it? It starts and, and continues and it's that growth of knowledge and everyone's um, experience in this and, and, and joining the fight really is, is what's going to help. And um, I think it's absolutely right that the bottom up approach is, is correct because, you know, just thinking of my dealings with some of those multinationals where you're looking at multiple ERP systems across various locations and trying to get one payment practice in place just from a software integration implementation perspective is is a huge task but it needs to change so um, it's got to be campaigned through and, and worked through so it then took me back to thinking about your comment at the start around winning hearts and minds and um, and how that's really been a, a key theme of your career um, and how you've got to this point so it makes absolute sense again of of why you're here doing this and it's it's really impressive to see um, your career in business how that sort of spanned those roles and industries um, just coming back to that um, a little bit now, could you walk us through maybe some of those key highlights and turning points that shaped your journey and, and have brought you to this point? Well, I suppose um, I, I, there are a few important things that have, I suppose, milestones along the way. One of them was, um, uh, I suppose, not going to university. I had to work harder to be accepted in large companies. Um, but one of the things that I, uh, so for example, when I landed in Accenture, somebody said to me, what university did you go to? I said, I didn't go to university. And they said, well, how on earth did they let you in here? Um, and uh, so I was, I was keen for, uh, there, was, there was a bit of me that was very interested in fairness uh, and the fairness of, of, uh, of people to be able to achieve their potential. So one of the things that, that sort of affected me quite early on was this 
there should be a level playing field for everybody, a fairness for everybody. And so in the late 1990s, I, outside work, founded the Talent Foundation, which was an organization set up to help people be the best they possibly could in the workplace. And it still exists today as a not-for-profit. It's achieved amazing things. And ever since then, I've had this sort of um, need to right the wrongs that are caused by unfairness. And you see that coming through in, um, in, in Good Business Pays as one element of, uh, of that. Another uh, element of um, parts of my stuff was being a filmmaker at the beginning of my career. Uh, I understood the ability uh, of, of the creative arts to be able to change people's hearts and minds. So if you, if you think about watching movies, if you think about listening to music, if you think about even watching television adverts, uh, the, the power of pictures and music and sound to be able to change people's opinion on things, I learned that art quite, quite early on. And so I was always interested in what eventually became change management. But my first big hearts and minds campaign was, um, was the introduction of Sunday shopping at Sainsbury's. And so I was in, involved in campaigning for the introduction of Sunday shopping for good or for bad. It certainly changed life in the UK forever. And so I'm always interested in things to do with fairness and unfairness and things to do with changing hearts and minds, because I think you get a much bigger movement and much bigger change if you bring people with you. And what I've found is if I concentrate on things that are not divisive, but in some senses, to me at least, are common sense, why wouldn't you want to pay somebody for work they've just done? Why would you want to make them wait? Why wouldn't you allow somebody to buy products when they wanted to? You know, these are things that I think should just be done. Now, that's just my view. But what I found is that if you pick something to support that is sort of common sense or difficult to argue against, you can make a big change if you bring people with you. Terry, I couldn't agree more. Absolutely. Um, maybe you could just... Um explain uh, just in a in a short answer what inspired you to find um, to, to found good business pace and what are your hopes for the organizational's impact on the business community in the future um what inspired me were the letters and the emails that we got when i was at the creative industries federation saying please can you help i can't feed my children uh, it was literally you know, I'm, I'm, we had notes from people who were thinking about ending their life because they had no money, no, uh, nothing at all uh, during that COVID time because everything dried up for them and they weren't getting any support from the government, etc. So I knew something had to be done uh, and, I, and I decided to do something about it. Not that I could fix it, but tried. Um, in terms of um, what I hope will, uh, Good Business Pays will achieve, it won't change the world, but what I do hope is that it will change business culture and behavior. Uh, we, we can all decide when to pay the bill when they've done work on our house. And hopefully we don't want the builder to go out of business so we pay them quickly. I would like people to think about treating other people fairly and well uh, in business as they would do in their own home. And uh, I won't say that we will achieve that with everybody, but if we could get 
60% of that 80% that I talked about in the middle behaving well, then I can close good business, good business pays and we can we can call it good businesses paid and then we'll all go home. I think that's a fantastic message and I'm really going to take away from this uh, podcast your your statements of fairness and, and unfairness and bringing the people with you with hearts and minds if you win them and you bring bring that movement with you i think that's really inspiring advice for for everyone to to learn from especially given the the career you've been through and and how you've found that that to be the case so um just as a final parting thoughts as we close off as a seasoned leader is there any other advice you'd give to aspiring entrepreneurs or business professionals trying to navigate um that kind of ever-changing landscape of the industry and and, and achieving success uh, build your network. I will say to people, you know, I'm a, I'm a companion at the Chartered Management Institute. Young managers say, or young executives wanting to be managers say, what tips have you got? I say, build your network. Because even if you're just entering the workforce today, um, the person that's sitting on the opposite side of the table to you on the client side will one day perhaps be a CEO. And you will one day perhaps own a company wanting to sell to a CEO. Build your network. Maintain your network. Uh, because that's always the thing that will make you stand out from the next person. Terry, thank you so much for sharing your inspirational insights today. And also thank you for all of our listeners joining, for joining in once again. Indeed. Thank you very much, Terry. It's been a fantastic session. Really, really pleased to have you on. And um, I hope that uh, getting up this message out um, on our podcast just at least helps push that message and wins a few more hearts and minds for you. So thanks again, once again, Terry. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you for joining us on this enlightening episode of the Global Business Insights Podcast. Stay tuned for more inspiring stories and valuable insights that will continue to guide and uplift you on your journey.